Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the game. The Premier League returns. We pick our teams and players of the season who will astound and amaze. Which clubs will be left in turmoil? We'll also reflect on Chelsea's Super Cup win and ask if Manchester United have closed the gap to their local rivals, Manchester City. I'm Hugh Wizencroft and this is the game. So it's time to whet the appetite for the new season ahead with our picks and predictions for the Premier League. To help me through it all, Gregor Robertson, Jonathan Northcroft, and for the first part of the podcast, Tom Roddy, who joins us after the Super Cup in Belfast. How are you all? Morning, Hugh. Very good. Very good. Good. See, this is this this is starting off good this season with the hellos, and it will slowly descend to silence within the next few weeks. So, you know, good for me, but um, but you know, just keep it up. That's all I'm asking. In fact, we've all had a good summer. Hopefully, we're all refreshed and ready to go for the new season ahead. Unlikely, actually, for those of us that were working on the Euros. But in terms of the players and the clubs, some are in a better position than others, and maybe that is because of the Euros and all the players coming back a little bit late. So I'm going to start this first section of the pod by looking ahead to the new season, asking you who had the best summer, which players to watch out for, who we think will be over and underachievers in the Premier League this season. Um, and I'll start with you, Gregor. Who do you think had the best summer? I think Aston Villa. And that may sound really weird when they've just sold their absolute talisman to <laughs> Jack Grealish. But I think Amy Buendia is a star. The arrival of Danny Ings opens up so many avenues and options. Ollie Watkins, until two years ago, was a wide forward and leaves the pressure on him and it opens up a lot more options and Leon Bailey is another option up front. So the options they have going forward and already on a solid foundation, I think Aston Villa have recruited really well compared to most teams. I think we'll probably come to them. I think the most interesting summer is Crystal Palace. But I think the best summer in terms of transfer dealings is Aston Villa. I agree. I've picked Aston Villa as my team that had the best summer. You know, Jack Grealish, I think, is a miss. But as that video from Christian Perslow suggested, you know, there's a bit of money ball going on here and some shrewd recruitment and acquisitions. And I think they're well set to actually improve without Jack Grealish in the team. Is that what you were going to say, Tom? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, it, it is. And, and also, I still think £100 million is a hell of a lot of money for Jack Grealish. He's a very good player and was a game changer. And you, if you were Aston Villa, you, you, you want that amount of money to... To, to let him go from your club, but it's still a ridiculous amount of money. So that deal and the replacements that they were able to bring in together, I think they've so far, and we'll we'll see the we'll see whether it, it it turns out that way. But it feels this summer like they've just worked on this on this pretty perfectly, really. And and of course, you know, Danny Ings was always that he was that striker who wasn't quite on the top level but but you didn't know where he'd end up and so for, for for Villa to get him through the door it was really impressive to be honest um I do think as well United are interesting aren't they you would have liked to have seen a striker in there but keeping hold of Cavani does the job for now as Greenwood develops um and and Ferran and Sancho should should be Rear, with working alongside Maguire and adding to that attack, it, it, it really it, they really should, should be a contender this season. One more thing on Villa, I, I, I don't think they're finished either. They are like a rising force. They've got their owners, Nassif Sawari and Wes Edens, combined make them the third richest owners in the Premier League. Villa have got a pretty bright future under them, and they, I'm not sure they're they're finished this summer either. So you know they they showed their intent by trying to by Smith Rowe from Arsenal and whatnot. You know, that seemed very bold, but it showed their intent. Yeah, I think Aston Villa are a rising force. Yeah, with Axel Two and Zabie there on loan as well, bolster the defence too, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be more to come through the door. Have you picked Johnny either United or Aston Villa, or have you got someone else for us? <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, I can't, I can't disagree with those picks. Um, they were, they were what I was going to say. And Villa are interesting because you speak to people around the Premier League, and and they are the one that other clubs are keeping an eye on. Um, and and you know saying mm, they've done well um, and and you know they they could be the rising force. So there's there's a lot of people looking at Villa. The recruitment's been good. I think Buendia is a, a sensational signing, and I agree on Danny Ings. It's just a, a superb deal. But you can't you can't lose sight of the fact they've lost Grealish. They mitigated it well. But I'm, I am a bit cautious about picking them as having the best summer because I think they've recruited the best, but they have lost. It's like Crystal Palace losing Zaha and Palace are another who are recruiting really well, but you know, will they keep Zaha? You've got to think, you've got to remember the impact of, of, of great players going and not just look at what's what's coming in the door. We saw that with Spurs and Gareth Bale all that time ago. United, Hugh, come on. I mean, you've got to be happy with with Sancho and Varane. Of all the, of all the big clubs, they've done probably the best business and, and they've done what we've said Edward would have done for the last, I don't know, five, six Windows summers targeted top class recruitment. I mean, you must be optimistic about that. Listen, yeah. for me, top four is the minimum. <laughs> top four is the minimum for me. I know a lot, a lot of people are saying Man United have to challenge, but I'm one of those. I, I, you know, a Manchester United fan who doesn't think there's a divine right to win trophies. You really have to earn yeah. it out on the pitch, and the competitors are very, very good. I think they're in the conversation. They should always be in the conversation, frankly, given the money that they've spent. But the players that they've brought in now to go with the money, the actual talent is is probably a very good summer for them. But um, I, I look at the way that Chelsea ended last season and I still think they're dangerous, especially if they sign Lukaku. We know how good Manchester City are. Van Dijk, 
Gomez, a new centre-back in the shape of Ibrahim Kanate at Liverpool as well. They might be a totally refreshed side going into the season. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy with Manchester United. I'm pleased with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You can quote me on this, you know, given the improvements that were made last year. But as I've said previously, Manchester United need to become a dominant side, not play counter-attack. You know, they've got the players to do that. We understand, but they need to really control games if they're to keep up with a City or a Liverpool or a Chelsea who, who clearly do on their day. So, um, so look, look, I'm happy um, and, and encouraged, but I don't think they'll win the league. Um, so if they do, I'll be absolutely delighted. So yeah, keeping my streak of keeping my streak of negativity up basically is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. a little bit of optimism with a big dollop of uh, yeah. I, I get you, but I, I, I was going to say, I mean, I think the answer to the question really actually would be Chelsea for me. Um, just I think if, if they get Lukaku, it is the one missing piece they did end last season with that fantastic run in Champions League final. The Super Cup's significant for them. You know, it's something they haven't won. It keeps that rolling. If you want to factor in the summer, you factor in the Euros. What Jorginho did, his growth in stature, um, and Kai Havertz showed all the signs that he was beginning to show at the end of last season. That he, I think it's going to be a massive season for him. And they, they're the ones that have just sort of, you know, set, yes, City are recruiting well, but if you talk about targeted recruitment, I think I think Lukaku in that Chelsea team almost trumps everything that anyone else has done. If they get Jules Kunde from Sevilla as well, big link, wow. then that yeah. would be a massive wow. acquisition too. Yeah. Um, look, let, let's talk about our players to watch in the upcoming season. Um, Aston Villa or otherwise, Villa fans already delighted with our start to the podcast. Tom Roddy, who are you looking out for? We saw him sort of emerge out of sort of out of the shadow of Yotta last season. I, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how Pedro Neto develops this year, trying to go sl- ever so slightly left field rather than the kind of obvious contenders. But I just think he is someone who could end up being following Yotta really. The, I think he has similar qualities and Wolves are probably one of the one of two clubs who are a real two or three clubs who are real unknown this year about how they're going to perform with the change of manager but I think he'll be one who the, the, just the way he plays the clever runs he makes he's a great finisher it could be not his breakthrough year obviously because he's already done that but just going up another level and one other just to kind of go for someone breaking through with Arsenal I I think they're going to have a tough year but there will be again similar to last year players who will have individually very impressive campaigns like Smith Rowe did last year like Saka did last year in Tierney and in the same way Smith Rowe broke through and had an absolutely excellent season, I think we could see, you know, there's so much excitement around Balogun and I think he's he, he'll get his opportunity this year and I think he'll take it. Gregor, what do you think? Who are you looking out for? Michael Elise um, at Crystal Palace. He was one of the most entertaining players I've seen in the Championship for many a year. He scored seven goals and got 12 assists in the Championship last year. He's 19. He's like one of these players that He's so unpredictable and so he's got pace and technique. You can run, you know, one of them looks quicker with the ball when he's running with the ball, but he's got a little trick. He, he kind of plays with a bit of swagger as well for someone so young. 
he's a real a real talent. And I think it, I think it was eight million. I think he may be a buyout clause in his contract. That could prove to be an absolute bargain. I think he might miss the opening weeks of the season. I think he's got an injury, but. He is he is someone that is definitely worth keeping an eye out for. Huge talent. Yeah, some interesting players coming in. Uh, that's a good. That's a good couple of good picks. I mean, Junior Firpo at Leeds, and and you think of of his pedigree and what Bielsa is able to to get from from that type of player. Brian Hale, who I, I must admit I haven't seen too much of, but in clips looks incredible, and and those who've watched him in Spain say he's going to really entertain people. And Lukonga's quite a good signing at Arsenal. Dhaka at, at Leicester. There's, as usual, there's a good sort of stream of, you know, interested players from abroad. I suppose I'm going to be a bit kind of um, tartan here and pick Billy Gilmore, though. I just think... <laughs> the, 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 I, mean, I think the level... Nothing that, wrong with that. that. Nothing wrong with that. Thanks. I thought you'd like that. Uh, I just, I just think it's, it, it, you know, Nor- Norwich have made one of the best signings of of, of anyone in, in getting Gilmore. He'll get his chance there. He'll get an opportunity to to, to play a full Premier League season. And um, at the Euros, we, we saw the level that he's already at. I, th- I think he'll. I think he'll. This will be a great development year for him, and uh, he'll go back to Chelsea as the real heir to Jorginho and probably be in the team next year. I mean, I'm just going to pick Jaden Sancho just because so many people who have watched him in Germany were so shocked that he wasn't starting every single game for England at the Euros, which means he must have something special and something to prove as well back in Manchester. So look, I, th- I think hopefully for Man United fans, he has a good season and for England fans too as well. Um, let's quickly move to our overachievers this year. Who do you think is going to surpass expectation. Johnny, I'll start with you on this one. It's always Leicester and they'll do it again. They've recruited well. I mean, Fofana's injuries are, is, is a bit of a blow for them, but, you know, they, they'll get Investigard or someone else good. They'll be they'll be right up among the, 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 the top four or five and you take a step back. That is an overachievement. You can't really say they're overachieving again because obviously that would be entirely expected, <laughs> wouldn't it? So yeah. it's very much a, <laughs> it's very much not an overachievement, but rather a same old. So, but I appreciate you like Leicester, Johnny. Let's get it. <laughs> Thank you, Leicester and Billy Gilmore. I've just started in such predictable vein, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> Tom, what do you think? Overachievers? I think I mentioned the team earlier. The teams that a real unknowns this year. Um, one of them is Brentford, but I'm still I'm still going to pick them as an overachiever because there's not there's not a huge expectation about them and I think the three, you know, the three teams coming up as usual are are tipped to go down. I think they'll do what a lot of teams that come up and take that kind of momentum and that fearlessness. And in Thomas Frank, they have a real sort of identity and leadership. Um, and with, with Ivan Tony up front, I mean, he's going to cause a lot of defenders some problems. The, the only pity about Brentford is uh, I remember seeing last year and, and in the year before that, Josh De Silva playing and, and have thought he's a, Premier League quality player um, and there's no surprise that he spent time at Arsenal as a, as a youngster it's a pity that he he, he won't be involved for, for for quite a bit of the season at least but yeah I can see them doing well I think Brentford I have them down as one of my overachievers because I think their style of football lends itself really well to the Premier League um, where it's maybe a little bit more tactical however 
a lot of their players are technically very good. It's just the level of intensity. It might take them a few weeks. I still think they'll be overachievers, but I think they might be a surprise in the first few weeks of the season that they don't, they don't play as well as maybe we expect because they, a lot of their players' style is to, you know, get the ball, have a look up, great passes, technically good. You know, the system works very, very well. But um, I think it might take them a couple of weeks just to get the level of, oh, we do have to play 100 miles an hour for most of the game in the Premier League, you know, instead of just 15 or 20 minutes, score a couple of goals and then we can just pass it around. So, you know, it will be a slight shell shock for most of their players, but I do think they can have a good season. I think Brighton, for me, could be overachievers. They're the team that I've picked. They just need to put the ball in the back of the net, not change much, sign a decent striker. You know, hardest thing to do in the game, put the ball in the back of the net. We all know that. But I think if they can get a goal scorer, they probably, for me, will be in the top half. So I'll choose Brighton as mine. Gregor, yours? Apart from the obvious in, in, in Burnley, who like will just continue to do what Burnley do, I think. I think Norwich. I think it probably will be a surprise to many because of the kind of humiliating way that they were relegated last season. They were lost their last... Sorry, two years ago, they lost their last 10 games. They conceded 75 goals. They were like, Labelled naive because they, they, could, they kept trying to play it from the back, and they only spent five million quid on like a, an up and coming left back from Coventry. So you know, everybody thought, well, "Did you not? We're not going to try." And then this summer, they will have spent I think over fifty million quid, which is still not in Premier League terms enormous. But I think the the the, the last time they spent more than eight million quid until this season was on Pritchard from Spurs in twenty sixteen. So. They have really cut their cloth accordingly and this is kind of part of the plan. It's like, if we get up, we might come back down, but the next time we go up, we'll be in a bit in better shape. And they have, you know, although they've lost Buendia, they've signed two forwards from Werder Bremen. They've just signed uh, a winger from from uh, from Greece and they signed a left, left back and Ben Gibson, two defenders were on loan last season. And the most important thing is their defence is already much better. They were... I think they conceded 36 goals last season, which only Watford bettered. And even when they came up, what would that have been now? Three years ago, they still conceded like 50-something goals. They weren't, they've weren't. they been really poor at the back all the way through Fark's kind of tenure, but they play great football and they score goals. He's kind of done something to tweak, tweak it a bit and shore up the defence. And I think that might be enough for them. Other, other players who we know, Max Ahrens, Cantwell, you, you know, older, wiser, they've been here before, bit of experience. I think Norwich might surprise a few. Listen, that was just a long-winded Billy Gilmore shout, by the way. So <laughs> I the- <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know you didn't mention him, but I know what you meant, Gregor Robertson. So don't think you can hide yeah, it from I, me. We knew, we knew. <laughs> uh, underachievers of the season. Johnny, I'll start with you on this again. Arsenal, maybe Spurs. Look, I think Arsenal are starting to go in the, the right direction. It's just a big big tanker that they're trying to turn around but I think the recruitment's changing quite clever uh, they're building around Saka and and Smith Rowe um, and the right types of players but I I still think they're they're, they're a long way away I think their objective is to challenge for the top six really which is sensible to try and do it in stages. But when you think of the the scale of that club and and, and the, the, the money that's been spent since you know, for like five, six years, it's it's an underachievement to be where they are. I'd say the same with Spurs. I think I mean they might just pay the price for a few years of mess. And regardless of whether Kane goes or, or, or stays, again, signs some decent players. This looks like an end of a cycle at Spurs and they could have to stomach some pain before coming back again. So I, I just think those two, 
you know, maybe 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 this is coming back in the category of we expect them to underachieve or overachieve, whatever. So uh, if you're looking for something unexpected, that might not be the answer. But in a kind of more big picture sense, um, I, I expect them to both be trying to get in the top six while clubs like Leicester, maybe even Villa and maybe even West Ham again are, uh, are above them. No, I've picked those two as my underachievers, Arsenal and Spurs. I've just written outside top six. So that's pretty much where they are for me right now. Uh, Tom, what do you think? Yeah, I would have gone the, the same for the exact same reasons Johnny said. To to, to go for a, to, to mention a different club. And it's, it's tricky in a way, Hugh, because the league... It is predictable at times, but only sort of certain sections in a way. Southampton have had such a difficult summer. There's not always huge expectation on them, but I worry with the way in which players have left there. I mean, they already had a bit of fragility last year mentally in that team, but to see the way in which players and key players like Bertrand Ings have gone and Vestigard seems certainly to be on his way. It looks like a big job for Ralph Hassan Hootel this year to not be in a relegation battle. And they seem like the, the, the issue that they have is that they don't tend to be particularly sort of steady they tend to have peaks and troughs and and the, the highs can be very high, you know, beating beating the champions of England last year and the lows. I don't want to mention the, the, the nine goals conceded, but they can be so low. So if Southampton are in a relegation battle, then for them, that's underachieving. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. I think Southampton are going to have a, a tough, tough season. And I think Ralph Hardenhutter will be one of the first managers linked with whatever job becomes available, whether it's in this country or elsewhere. I think he might have to jump ship before uh, things go down too far. Uh, just finally on this, Gregor, your underachievers? Everton. I think they might still finish eighth or whatever, but <laughs> they'll still be underachieving as a football club. They spent half a billion pounds since the owner came in, and it's it's incredible to think how little they have to show for it. Rafa Benitez, when you you talk about the the atmosphere he's walking into, uh, the group of players that really a lot of whom they can't get off the the wage bill if they want to sell them, they're not going to raise much money, and they're having to sign Andros Townsend on a free and Damari Gray could be a not bad signing for like less than two million quid that's that's the kind of pool that they're fishing in at the moment you know who knows you might they might finish eighth and Rafa will kind of grind them on to flirting with the top six or whatever but it's still under achievement forever and Everton there's a huge football club huge historic football club and the way they've been run it's just all coming home to roost they're, they're in danger of breaching profit and sustainability regulations as well so Everton I think are a hugely under underachieving football club Right, that's the verdict from Gregor Robertson and the rest of us as well. And we're going to predict a headline of the season a little bit later on to end the podcast. But up next, how will the new faces in the dugout fare in the Premier League? Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times. You'll get yourself one month free if you do it right now. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. 
There are a number of new managers in the Premier League. Some we know and love, some we've pretty much never heard of. So what should we expect from some of the new faces in the dugout in the Premier League? Let's start with Rafa Benitez, who we've mentioned already, of course, Champions League winner with Liverpool. Three-year deal he signed with Everton, as Gregor mentioned, only a million and a half pounds spent on Damari Gray. Free transfers for Asmir Begovic and Andros Townsend. We know Gregor's view on this. What do you think, Johnny? Will Rafa Benitez struggle at Everton? It's tough for Rafa, and I'm a big, big Rafa fan. Um, but I, I, I this fear he's walked in at um, the most difficult of times, where you know, as lads mentioned, the FFP concerns that Everton have. I think, I think the nuance here is that PSG are doing what they're doing because UEFA have relaxed their uh, regulations. But as I understand it, this I think Everton have got to think about. Premier League regulations and they might not be as relaxed. So that I think that is affecting them in the transfer market. He's also inheriting a squad where there's certain players that, you know, uh, right up Rafa Street, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I know he really likes Ben Godfrey. Um, but he's, you know, James Rodriguez was somebody that exasperated him when he was Real Madrid manager and I don't see a fit there. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a sort of general lack of um, reliability about some of those players physically, as we've seen, and Rafa will try and demand, a, you know, a physically intense game. So he's got a lot of problems to sort out, and that's before you look at the fan base and their antipathy towards him as a former Liverpool manager and the politics of Everton themselves, with their, um, you know, owner that quite likes getting involved in recruitment and sporting director who's got a checkered record shall we say it's a difficult time it's a difficult time for for rafa the, the only thing is what i'm fascinated is how he'll how he'll interact with that fan base because he has had a habit of being able to win fans over at, at most of his clubs it didn't happen at chelsea but if he can harness them you know if he can harness goodison park um maybe he'll get himself time. As I say this year, he needs to buy himself time to, to to sort that squad out, which will take him longer than, you know, this particular window, given the restrictions I talked about. It's an interesting one. I do see Everton and Rafa Benitez in particular as one of those figures that can, you know, towards the end of the transfer window, pick up maybe a few loans or freeze, you know, some people that he believes he can get something out of maybe in the short term, one, maybe two years, who could maybe help Everton out. I don't think it's the worst squad in the world. And I think for me, he's a manager who can get more than the sum of the parts out of a group of players. I'm hoping he's still got that magic touch. I, I, I do believe if things go right, they can make a top six push. But I believe Rafa's going to have to upset quite a few players in the squad to make that happen because some of the big names are probably going to be the ones being left out if that's going to happen for me. But I am intrigued by it all for all the reasons you mentioned, Johnny. So I will be keeping a close eye on Everton this season. Let's speak about Patrick Vieira next. Of course, Arsenal's former Premier League winning captain. He signed a three-year deal at Crystal Palace. He was criticised for a lack of a footballing philosophy while he was at Nice sacked after losing his final five, five games. Mark Gahey, Joe Chim Anderson, Michael Elise, Conor Gallagher in at the club, amongst a few others as well. But those are the big names. Gregor, what are you expecting at Selhurst Park? I think Palace have gone from being one of the most boring teams in the Premier League to perhaps the most interesting, just because of the the scale of the kind of overhaul that they're having to that they're going through really this summer. And it's well, you know, the, the, a big part of this as well. Their their academy was granted Category One status last summer building new facilities for that. It is a pivot away from 
the oldest squad in the in the Premier League to perhaps one of the youngest. I understand twelve academy players went on their preseason tour. Appointment of I forget his name right, Said Aigun from Paris Saint Germain, who's like a the development coach who kind of bridge the gap between the academy and the first team. That was someone that uh, Vieira pushed for and you know, that, that again suggests that this is the direction they're going in. And as you've reeled off the players, I think some really good signings. Yeah, Anderson was was good at Fulham. Um, Conor Gallagher is a player with a lot of potential. And uh, Gouhey, he was at, at Swansea last season. Watched him against Daryl DK, you know, a huge, powerful striker uh, for Barnsley in the playoffs. And he was absolutely outstanding. He was... He was the best player on the pitch, head and shoulders, and he's someone who's really highly, highly rated. I'm not sure Chelsea really want to let him go, but you know he's 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 uh, very highly thought of. So, you know, the thing that's kind of looming in, in the background is that the last time Palace tried something different was uh, De Boer and lasted a, a handful of games. And I think I believe that Vieira is only the third foreign manager in Palace's history. Uh, Attilio Lombardo in '98 was the other one. So this is a very new era for. For Palace, and as you say, Vieira is a huge figure in English football. But you know, he's nurtured in the in the City group um, in the Manchester City Academy and in New York. Didn't have a great time in Nice. He wasn't the first choice. Uh, Lucy and Favre made a U-turn at the at the last minute. Um, but undoubtedly, plenty of intrigue this season in, in how Palace will fare. I think if you were to ask most Palace fans, they're equ- they're like excited and terrified in equal measure i am terrified for only honestly i know it sounds weird and and might seem totally off the point but for a black manager of the reputation of patrick vieira in terms of his playing career you know a lot has been said about black managers in the top flight we've argued about a lack of them for for so so long on paper in terms of his playing career and reputation vieira has it all you know, he's a World Cup winner, he's a, a Euros winner, he's a Premier League winning captain. He has the, you know, the reputation of young players. Lots of them know who Patrick Vieira is to look up to. Fans certainly do. Believe me, when we have this conversation, people still bring up, you know, Paul Lynch's record and John Barnes's record. So if, if Patrick Vieira is a massive flop, we will be hearing this conversation, particularly in fans, for decades to come. Oh, Patrick Vieira had a chance at Palace. Look how that turned out. So for me as a black football fan, just watching on, you know, my hope and desire that Patrick Vieira just does a steady job, you know, and isn't a, a Frank, a, a De Burr once again, um, is massive. Like it's almost fear and trepidation and anxiety more than anything else. So for that reason, I know it sounds perverse that I hope Patrick Vieira does well, but um, but it is one of those things that, that, you know, changes perception. And if he's absolutely dreadful, that perception will continue for, for a long time because people love Vieira from his playing days and they hope and think many haven't watched him his team in France that he will be brilliant as he was as a player and if that doesn't materialize like I say perception changes very quickly so it's not really a football point as such but um but I do hope Patrick Vieira does well in fact Nuno Espirito Santo is officially one of our other ethnic minority managers in the Premier League and he has a huge job on his hands he's given a two-year contract at Spurs we know there's question marks over Harry Kane it's a huge if, if he stays at the club for Nuno. You've got Brian Hill from Sevilla, uh, Pierluigi Gallini, the goalkeeper, and defender Christian Romero, both from Atalanta as well. But I, as we said a little bit earlier on, what is it for Tottenham Hotspur that it would mark a, a successful season? Because whatever it is, I, I don't know if this team, this season, will live up to that. 
Um, Johnny, what do you think? I think this one comes down to the fit, actually, between Nuno and, and, and Spurs, because uh, Nuno's, a, Nuno's a terrific coach. Um, his, his history shows you overachievement with, with smaller teams. And it's built on, um, I suppose, a reactive, classically Portuguese, Mourinho-ish sort of game, but played probably with a bit more flair, with real real extreme pace on the break and, and real good organisation and um, on, on very sort of clever transitions. It's, it, it's built also on having a very small squad and he, he puts a lot of work into the sort of the tightness of a group, the social aspect, all that sort of stuff. Um, and on that kind of underdog thing, now I'm not sure if any of that really fits where Spurs are at the moment. They've got a slightly kind of fattened squad because they've had different managers have signed different players as Poch players, as Jose players, there's, 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 other, there's other players now coming in from the sporting director. So can he get that tightness? Will Spurs fans enjoy a reactive game? Um, I'm not sure if, if that fits with the, the traditions and then he walks in with this, this big Harry Kane um, political saga. And one, one thing that, 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 that struck me spending time with Nuno is he's, he, he's very, he's very anti the kind of nonsense and soap opera of football. He's a, he, he likes a quiet life, and I'm not sure he'll enjoy the the Kane saga. And then Spurs, you know, the, the way Spurs, the club, always attract um, the, the the sort of the soap opera headlines. They're just one of those clubs that we give a lot of attention to in the media. So there's a there's an aspect there, the fit. I'm just not sure about the fit at this particular time. I don't have any doubts about his coaching abilities um is he is he it, you know it, it might be like Benitez does he buy himself enough time to make it a Nuno team and will the fans accept a Nuno team or are they going to hanker after you know the real the Spurs way or whatever it is and and we'll we'll be where we were I suppose with Mourinho after after six months yeah, I think Johnny's Johnny's right. I think uh, I think he's an excellent coach as well. You know, promotion and two seventh place seventh place finishes with Wolves—that's overachievement. Um, but the fit is awkward. Um, Spurs are a club who they've even tried to court kind of global power and attention, and you know, signing Bale and uh, hiring Jose Mourinho for to go from that to. To kind of to Nuno, who sucks the life out of a news a press conference, um, just hates any of the stuff that comes along with management. He just wants to be on the grass, and he like and he's a good man manager too, I think. So, you know, if he can if he can sort of I don't know adapt to that a little bit and maybe show a little bit more of himself day to day, I think it could be a success. I think Fabio Paratici as well, the director of football, comes from Juventus. That's interesting because Spurs started to kind of well it, there just seemed to be too much power in, in Daniel Levy's hands particularly with transfers so um, and I think Brian Gill was someone who had seen little bits of flashes flashes from from him and reading bits about him he, he's exciting um, I think he could be a good signing um, really exciting winger I, th- I read somewhere that George Valdano likened him to a dodgem car <laughs> he's kind of he's one of these kind of left footed wingers who you know just chops and Twists and turns, and he kind of he loves to run it, run it defenders. So could be an exciting player, but he's only twenty one. I'm not sure. I think there's a lot of unpredictability about Spurs. I think a Champions League finish is unlikely. I think there will be 
you know, on on the on the fringes of the Champions League again. And I think actually, all things considered, that wouldn't be a disastrous season for Spurs. Yeah, I think that would be an overachievement, actually, if they were sort of fifth or sixth in the Premier League, given how things have gone of late. Finally, though, the unknown quantity in the dugout, Bruno Large. Former Benfica title-winning manager, former advise, uh, excuse me, former assistant to Carlos Carvajal at Sheffield Wednesday and Swansea, has signed a deal to become the Wolves' boss, replacing Nuno Espirito Santo. He signed Yerson Mosquera, centre back Jose Sarr, a goalkeeper, to replace the one Rui uh, Patricio who's left. Um, Francisco Trincao from Barcelona on loan. Some of the names in the door at Molyneux. Does anyone know what to expect? from Bruno Large. I'm not going to pretend I do. Not really. Um, it interests me that it's, uh, it's another um, signer, it's another manager, a bit like Thomas Frank, actually, who has, and maybe Brendan Rodgers, who's actually come really from youth football, from, from a long period of coaching youth teams. Um, and I don't know, this, this, this might be a new route for, for top managers. Well, that's not a new route. Okay, it's not a new route, but it might be a, a route that comes into vogue a bit more um, for, uh, for for management to, to really, you know, maybe not have the great playing career, but really spend your time in that scenario. Because a lot of football now is about getting value from from signings uh, and value from from development, and um, and these guys have got that touch. So that looks like the, that looks like the route that Wolves have gone down. The investment has sort of stat taps been turned off a little bit from from Jeff Shi and, and and China. And um, not that it was ever extravagant, but, you know, it was big enough to, to bring in the Nevises and the Moutinho's. That, that, that's sort of, they're going down more of a, um, a sort of moneyball route, cleverer route maybe, uh, or they hope. And they're looking for a coach to develop. Um, and that's what, that's what Lars's sort of history tells you. It comes with a good reputation, but I'd be I'd be lying if I told you that I'd studied uh, Benfica under him particularly closely and could, could tell you the differences between him and the other 94 Benfica managers in the last decade. <laughs> yeah, it's a very peculiar one, yeah. He, he managed the B team, he won... He won the league and then had a disappointing season and left. So he's had really two two seasons as a manager, and one of them was a B team. And before that, he was assistant to Carlos Carvajal at Sheffield Wednesday and Swansea. Um, and as Johnny says, worked in youth football. It's, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> it's it's going to be. It, all, all, one thing we'll say is he's got big shoes to fill. With just all, all the things we just said about Nuno, he took the club on a ride, and all these players. You know, I think there was a forged a pretty strong connection with them. So whoever followed them had a, had, a, uh, had a tough task on their hands. I think the one thing that I would say, this is aside from who the manager is and how they might play, the expectation at Wolves has changed very, very, very quickly. You mentioned how well they've done under Nuno Espirito Santo. A lot of their fans were beginning to complain last season about Nuno and, and the style of play. There are some very good young players at Wolves. It is a long-term project. But remember, you're in the Premier League. And I, I'm being honest here. If Wolves finish 15th, I would take it right now. You know, it's it's one of those. You just hope the young players can improve. Some of them get some more confidence. And you look at the long-term picture instead of the short-term picture. So, look, hopefully Wolves do have a good season. Um, up next, that was the managers, of course. We'll recap the Super Cup in Belfast last night. And we'll see what the Manchester clubs have in store. Stay with the game. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Last night in Belfast, Chelsea beat Villarreal 6-5 on penalties after a pretty draining 120 minutes in the European Super Cup in Northern Ireland. Um, Times, Tom Roddy, of course, was there. What did you make of the game before we get to the penalty shootout, Tom? It wasn't a classic. No, no, it was far from a classic, Hugh. Um, I was thinking heading into this game with (laughs) Romelu Lukaku flying into London yesterday from Nice, there, it was one of those games where had it gone the wrong way, it was going to be very easy to discard and forget and just palm off as the, the sort of a glorified friendly to start the season off. Um, but instead, it's, it's, it can be used as a, as a momentum for Tuchel's team, you know, another collecting trophies. And, there were kind of positives and negatives from it in that you, you watched the first half and they were just utterly dominant over Villarreal. I mean, they had they had over 81% possession before Ziyech's first, before Ziyech's goal. And they created just so many opportunities, were so dangerous from the wide areas and didn't really make the most of it. But at the, at the same time, you watched it thinking, well, Lukaku would have attacked these chances a lot more than, say, Werner had or even Havertz and, and Ziyech get when they did get into the box. That that was what they were missing. And that was what's waiting for them in London now. The, the, the negative, really, I mean, Tuchel had said that he wanted the you know new players who were coming in to, to keep the current players on their toes a little bit and there that was happening you saw this lift in performance from Ziyech and from Havertz um and of course to see Ziyech walk off with his arm in a sling uh and and Tuchel talk about it is something that looks quite serious I think winning the game will have will have made him you know, forget it a little bit, but they were they were really quite poor in the second half. All the all the positive work they'd done was just totally lost, and they they allowed Villarreal to come back into it. Kepa, the goalkeeper, <laughs> got to exercise some ghosts in the penalty shootout. He was brought on for the shootout, which is, I think, slightly surprising, given it is the European Super Cup, and it's still sort of seen as more of a friendly affair than than anything else. Um, Clearly no trust in Mendy to save them, though. No, I mean, it's possibly this idea of, you know, maybe you look at it as Kepa being the specialist and and sometimes these, a lot of the time, you know, these statistics don't pay off. But this this was something that Tuchel uh, had discussed since February when they had the had the FA Cup game against Barnsley and the numbers said that Kepa was far superior than Mendy at penalties. I think he had saved, his percentage of save rate was 23 compared to Mendy's eight. And that meant he, <laughs> that meant that the plan was, even if Mendy played the entire 119 minutes as happened last night, 
Kepper would be ready to come on to take to take to be in goal for the shootout. And of course, um, it it worked. I mean, he he made he made the crucial intervention, and they weren't the best penalties, but it, and it's 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 really good for Kepper. It's it's a bit of a redemption story in that his career at Chelsea has been a real disappointment and the Nadir was that night or that afternoon at Wembley for the League Cup final when Sarri wanted to do the opposite and hook him off to put Caballero on for the for the penalty shootout against Manchester City and Kepa said no I'm not coming off and that 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 image of him shaking his head and saying no and Starry storming back to his seat as a man who always tended to struggle to hide his emotions. That was the real sort of image, the, the lasting image, it seemed, would be of his career at Chelsea. But this is a redemption story. And, and also you sort of go from here. <laughs> you go from here. And if Chelsea ever head to a penalty shootout, it's going to be like Tim Krull coming on, isn't it? Hmm. Well, just finally, what do you think Chelsea season will be like as we look ahead to the start of the Premier League campaign? I, I'm not entirely sure we will see the, the sort of true Chelsea until um, a few weeks into the season, which is the same as, I suppose it's the same as most teams really, but it's just the the added element of players like, you know, Reese James, Mason Mount, Thiago Silva, guys like that who have only been back now for nine days. That was their first. Thiago Silva's not played a um, played a match yet. Um, they, they've had one in-house match since. So I don't think we're going to see the, the the best of them for a few weeks. But I think with the addition of Lukaku. They are going to be really strong. And personally, without City bringing in a striker, I see them as favourites for the Premier League title. Brilliant, Tom. Thanks for joining us. I know you've got a shoot off now, maybe to check out or get to the airport. So appreciate you being with us uh, on the podcast today. Well, let's head from Belfast now to Manchester and speak to the Times. Paul Hurst. Paul, how are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. I think I was in Seville the last time I spoke to you, so this is a bit not not quite as warm here. <laughs> no, but home is where the heart is, I'm sure. Um, listen, any foreign football fan that arrives in Manchester is, I think, now going to be massively surprised that the streets aren't paved with gold. At the two Manchester clubs, we knew about Manchester United for decades. Manchester City have emerged now. I mean, it's now the home of, of top-tier talent, isn't it, as a city? Um, let's start with the red half, Manchester United, because I think there's maybe more intrigue there about their season. A little bit earlier on, we were talking about possible underachievers, and I, you know it, I'm a Manchester United fan, but I think there's a possibility they will be seen as underachievers if they don't win a trophy this year. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, I go back to that Europa League final in... Uh, in May, and I I thought that was the case then. I thought they underachieved by not winning that, and now they've got uh, a World Cup winning centre half and you know one of the hottest wingers in Europe uh, on the books as well. So the the def- there's definitely more pressure, I would say, on Solskjaer to to win something this season. You know, he's he's come so close, hasn't he? Get to finals, semi finals, quarter finals, etc. 
But um, but that's not good enough. I think if you're Manchester United, you keep going around telling everyone that you're the best uh, sport or club in the world. You know this is uh, the you know where, where trophies are won, etc., and not win titles. I just think it's uh, they've got to actually start putting silverware uh, in the trophy cabinet again. Are the club putting any pressure on the manager though? Because there's one thing for the fans and journalists to think that it's an underachievement. If they finish in the Champions League spot and don't win a trophy again. Have you got any concerns over the manager's position? I, I, I think I, I still think that Solskjaer would be would be safe in that scenario. Um, uh, obviously, depends how far they get in the comp- club competitions um, again. Um, but they've, they've just handed him a new contract, so I, I think that is the the uh, the most solid backing you can you can give a manager, isn't it? And I think that'll give him confidence as well. Um, and it'll give clarity to the players who are, who want to come in um, and the players who. You know who, who are still on the books as well. So, um, I, in terms of the, the sport that the club are giving him, I just think, I think that remains absolute. He wants to play a different style. He says four three three. Now, I do think that for me hinges on having top quality holding midfielder. If he wants to play with just one a deeper, more defensive midfielder, that is. So, will one come through the door? And are you expecting a more attacking, more front foot, maybe more dominant Manchester United this season? I, th- I don't think United will sign anyone else this uh, this summer unless they can move on. Uh, Jesse Lingard, uh, Pereira, um, uh, Phil Jones. Unless they can get rid of those players and accumulate, say, you know, thirty million something like that, then I don't think they'll sign anyone. And you look back over the years, and that's one thing that United haven't been very good at is getting rid of uh, offloading players and. You know, it's it's easy to see why because they give they give them ridiculously long contracts on on huge wages, um, even if they're not playing. You know, Phil Jones is contracted until twenty twenty three, and he's got an option to stay for another year if the club wants him to. Um, and he's not played. Um, I think it's eighteen months. He's not played. So he had a poor injury record before his latest injury. So that was a bit of a head scratcher. Uh, and Lingard is obviously on on big money as well and he's out of contract in a year so they're not going to get a big fee from him um, but so certainly that's that's what I've been hearing that United have to sell uh, before they buy again and um, they're not they've not been very good at that so I'd I'd, I'd probably say that we're not going to see another new face after Varane signs. Well, let's move to the Etihad then, the blue side of Manchester. Many people think with the signing of Jack Grealish and possibly Harry Kane as well, this is the team to beat not just in the Premier League, but possibly the Champions League as well. Where do you see City right now? I still see them as um, as favourites to, to win the, the league this season, particularly if they get Kane. If, if they get Kane, that is the... The final piece of the uh, the puzzle, really, isn't it? He would um, he would give them something that they've not got at the moment. I went to Community Shield last weekend and just felt uh, incredibly sorry for Ferran Torres, who was playing up front um, in his first match. He not had any preseason, uh, and having watched him at the Euros play so well on the right wing, um, and then he gets shunted into the striker's position for Man City and get knocked about by. Um, Daniel Amati, who I thought was very good, um, I just felt really sorry for him because that's that's not his position. And Gabriel Jesus, you know, Pep argues uh, has argued in the past that his position is not as a number nine; it's on the left wing. So at the moment, Manchester City don't have a striker. So if if you bring Harry Kane into that mix, then you've got the the full set. Um, and I just think that would make them uh, the complete team, and it, it would be a, a kind of 
a really mouthwatering prospect watching all those players um, play together and Kane, you know, finishing off because they've got so much creativity. It's just in the last couple of years they've not had someone who's who's been scoring uh, up front on a regular basis. Harry Kane doesn't seem to have a plan B. Do Manchester City have a plan B when it comes to their striker's position? Will they move to someone else if Daniel Levy makes this as hard as we think he might? Uh, from what I've been hearing, I think it's Kane or bust, basically. If they don't get Kane, I don't think they will sign a new striker, another striker, sorry. I can kind of see, understand the reasoning behind that because they're so yeah, so desperate, hell-bent on getting Kane in. He is the perfect man for them. Um, so why would you settle for for any less? And if you're looking at Erling Haaland's situation next summer, uh, where he's got that release clause in his contract, that um, that you think that City maybe will hang on for another year and, and go for him next summer? Um, you know, Kylian, Kylian Mbappe is out of contract next summer as well. So that would be he's a player that City have looked at uh, in the past as well. So uh, City don't really do stopgap signings. It, it's, it's never really been a uh, uh, you know, a, a method for the uh, for certainly for, since Chica Bagiristan came in as director of football. So, I think if if he will, if they don't get Kane, I don't think they'll sign anyone else. Paul, thanks for joining us on the game podcast, and I think Manchester will bring home some silverware this season. So, plenty to look forward to. So, let's get back to Gregor Robertson and Jonathan Northcroft now. On our final point on today's podcast, as we go into the new season, I asked you guys to tell me your headline of the season. One of the big stories you think might happen over the next 10 months. Um, Gregor, I'm going to start with you. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure I've got a punchy headline or anything that's like one story. I think, as much as it pains me to say, we just heard Hurstie talk about, you know, the expectation and the red half of Manchester. I don't think much is going to change. I think we're going to see headline where saying Solskjaer tops of the table with Manchester United and then two to three months later, Solskjaer, you know, pressure rising on Solskjaer, Solskjaer facing the axe. I think that cycle is going to continue. I don't think we've, I don't think the signing of Varane and Sancho, I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough to bridge the gap. And I think that the, the expectation now is that Manchester United have to challenge for the for the for the league. They have to. That's the next step. Um, as you say, they have to be challenged for for silverware, but they have to be challenged for the Premier League. And I don't think they're going to be particularly close. So that's although that's not a punchy headline. Sorry, I think it's the same thing we've spoken about for the last year. That we, there's a cycle, and the headlines go from. Manchester United being sublime to Manchester United being ridiculous. Ollie out as a headline could have worked, you know, just... Yeah, okay, that was good. You could tell yeah. I've never worked in a newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just just enjoying hearing you say Ollie out. Um, uh, yeah, um, I, I think it'll be... I think there'll be no bigger story than PSG this year. And I'm thinking Pochettino or Poch job. As he loses, <laughs> see Johnny, Johnny's been around, doesn't he? You can tell I'm he's been sorry. around a long time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you know, he loses Sergio Ramos to a season-long injury. Then he loses Verratti to a, a long injury. The entire front five refuse to track back, and most of them aren't passing to each other. Um, Buenaldum's knackered, and they get eliminated by a very sort of clever 
Bayern Munich team from the Champions League in the round of 16 and and, and it all blows up. Um, and I think uh, I, I, I think that's the way it's going to head at PSG. And it'll be fascinating. What a, what a story it's going to be this year. My big thing on this is, is anyone going to start watching Liga now because Messi's there? Probably, <laughs> probably. But, no, but we out, as in, as in, as in yeah. outside of PSG's games, as in watching the league as a whole. I understand people who watch him. But will people, you know, follow the story of Liga? Will they just be like, oh, Messi, Neymar and Mbappe are on tonight. Let me watch them score eight against Nantes. It's a shame because, I mean, it coincides with Lille being dismantled, doesn't it? And it would have been, if they'd kept that team together and that challenge together, it'd be worth watching. And, and with Leon sort of churning players as well. So, yeah. My, uh, my headline is either Mick Hell or Gunners Go Continental, a pun being Antonio Conte-nental, because I think Mikel Arteta could be the first manager to go. I'd give him sort of 10 games to prove his worth as Arsenal boss. And if they're, if they're like 10th after 10 Premier League games, I think that's it for me. So um, particularly when it comes to the losses column, if they lose five out of the first 10, for example, that's it for me. I think he's probably gone. Um, so Mick Hell might be the early headline, followed by I think Antonio Conte might take a two-year deal at Arsenal to see what he can do with that squad but of course he'll want a bit of money but if he was happy to take the Tottenham job I'm just saying Arsenal fans you'd probably expect he'd be happy to, to manage you so we'll see if Antonio Conte is back in London but it's going to be a Premier League season once again to look forward to hope the batteries have recharged for all of you my thanks uh, to Paul Hurst to Tom Roddy Gregor Robertson and Jonathan Northcroft for joining me on this episode of the game and to you as well remember you can get a subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times right now you can get one month free if you do it today just go online search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game we will see you on Monday selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.